Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we are back with another 2023 NFL Draft Prospect interview. You guys liked Texas A&M Commerce, so we decided let's go back to that school and let's let's get another stud off that defense. We're joined today by linebacker Mike Noble. Mike, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing good. Glad to be here, sir. Yeah, we're absolutely stoked to have you on. I, I want to start with, you know, you coming out of high school and the recruiting process. What was that process like for you coming out of high school? Uh, so my recruiting process was a little different than everybody else. So I was kind of a D1 or D none guy for a while. And then some things happened in my family where I had to take a D2 offer out to Western State, Colorado. And that's where I attended my freshman year. And then I uh, redshirted and came back to JUCO. So I want to ask you a little bit about that JUCO journey, because a lot of people don't understand. You played your JUCO ball in California, correct? Yes, sir. And people don't understand, you know, everybody thinks JUCO is what we saw with East Mississippi or, you know, Independence and California's JUCO is just a whole nother animal. So what was your JUCO experience like? So mine was a little different than a lot of other guys since or I, I lived at home. I lived 20 minutes from my school, so I didn't per se have the hard times of living in a one bedroom apartment with six guys, but I saw all of that going on on my team. And I kind of took that as God's way of telling me, okay, you got to help get, you got to help these guys out. So I kind of took a lot of guys under my wing and helped them out, drove them around. Cause a lot of those guys, they're flying in, they fly in with one bag and that's all they got. And they got to find roommates. They got to parents give them some money and that's about it. So yeah, that's kind of how mine went with that whole thing. And, Juco was tough, though. I mean, you see some of the best athlete, best athletes I've ever seen have came out of Juco. I mean, heck, um, Hunter Risen, he's the best receiver I've ever seen in my life. And he's Andre Risen's son, and he played at my Juco, played five games, had seven touchdowns in five games. And it's it's weird now. So, or I'm at the Aztec Bowl currently, and we had five Juco quarterbacks on my team. And one of them is actually here, Cooper Callis. He's competing, or he's going to be on the team with me. So it's kind of weird seeing everybody, see where everything plays out out of Juco. But, yeah, it was – I enjoyed my time. Definitely changes you. you got to go through a lot more than high school. And there's the stigma of, oh, you're a bad kid or you get bad grades. But, no, nah, it, it was good. You, I met a lot of great people, and I enjoyed my time at Juco. So you get to Juco – you do your thing there. What was the recruiting process like to get you from the JUCO level there to A&M Commerce? So that was another kind of – it was a weird deal for me. So I I played, I think, the first four games and then had to sit on a couple games because of, of a knee injury. And then first game back, came back, broke my hand. Had to play with a cast for a big, big old club for, uh, for the last five games. So – and I didn't, I didn't think I played that well, if I'm being honest, like the whole season. I didn't think I had a great season, but I kept working, kept working my butt off. And I actually ended up at Commerce because um, my receiver coach went to school with our old uh, linebacker in D.C., Coach uh, Xavier Adibi. And he texted Coach X, is what we called him. And he said, hey, I got this linebacker. Well, I, like, I think he'd be a good fit, whatever. And Coach X said, told me we don't have any more spot we don't have any more money to give you but if you want to come walk on you can 
and I kind of just took the jump. I wanted, I knew I wanted to be out in Texas, and that was kind of just how I ended up out there. It's a little small town. I thought I could do something out there. You know, and a lot of people don't understand what being a walk-on is. You're on the football team, but you're not on scholarship. So you're still having to grind to come up with a way to pay for school. So talk about what your experience was like. Obviously, you went from a walk-on to a major impact on the defense this past year. So what was the experience like as a walk-on? Um, I mean, I've always, I've kind of always been a grinder. So I went in there. When I walked on, my, my number one goal was to make the travel squad. I was like, I'll be on special teams. I'll do kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return, whatever you need from me. And it kind of, as like COVID-19 kind of hurt or hurt a lot of guys, it helped me because I came in during that time and we didn't have a season. So all I got to do was practice. I got to learn the full play. I got a full year to learn the playbook before we even played a game. And as I, or I always like to think I'm the smartest guy on the field and I showed my coaches and they were like, you know what? We can trust this guy and he can make the plays we need him to. And he can tell three other guys what, what they're supposed to do before the play starts or where the offense is going to run the ball or whatever. And that was kind of just how I got on the field was I knew I wasn't going to be the best athlete on the field, but I could beat everybody to the ball because I knew where the ball was going before them. You know, and we had one of your teammates on the show previously, Celestin Haba, and that man is a freak athlete. Yes, he is. absolutely. <laughs> he he highlighted, you know, the change that you guys went through there at AM Commerce going from D2 to D1. And I want to ask you, you know, you started your college journey at a D2 school and then you guys transitioned to D1. What in your opinion was the biggest difference between D2 football and D1 football? I would say the biggest difference that I noticed was the size of the O-line and then look like watching our offense the D-line. Um what a lot of guys don't realize is the train, the difference between a division one, unless you get to the like SEC, like Alabama, Georgia, like those receivers and stuff. Every, a lot of those guys are the same. They might be a little bit bigger than per se an FCS school, but the O-line and D-line is the biggest difference in my opinion. Like we were playing O-linemen. I'm looking at these guys towering over me. And I'm not, I know I'm not a short guy either. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys are big and can move. So I would say that was the biggest difference. Just the, just the size, the size of the guys we were going against. You know, and you guys played a tough schedule this past year. You guys obviously had a huge win against Southeastern Louisiana, a ranked opponent who made the playoffs. You guys play Sam Houston State, Incarnate Word. You know, you guys play a very tough schedule. How do you think that helps prepare you for these, you know, you're at the Aztec Bowl right now, but how does it help prepare you as you take the next step towards an NFL career? Um, I think it shows can you really compete at the at the highest level. Being a coming from a small, a usually unsuccessful Division two in Western State, and then going to junior college and coming here, and then moving up a division, I've kind of seen almost. I feel like I've seen almost every level of football and. I feel like I've just gotten better and risen to the occasion every time and playing those good, playing those good teams. I mean, it shows you, is this really, can this really be a reality or it kind of kicks you in the butt and says, okay, maybe like college football is cool, but I'm done after this. So I think it, it, it gives you the opportunity to really show yourself to other people and prove to your own, to yourself that you can compete at that high level. Cause it's tough. It is especially Incarnate Word. They were a very good team this year. 
you know, and you had a lot of success on the field, you know, very good statistical season. And, you know, one thing that's always impressed me with linebackers is the amount of responsibilities you guys have in the run game. You're expected to make an open field tackle, but now more importantly in today's game, linebackers got to be able to cover the pass. You got to be yes. good at covering the pass. And I don't know if you knew this, but you know, we like to use pro football focus here on this show because they can do all the rankings. So I don't have to try and rank things because I'm not as intelligent as they are, but <laughs> there were 726 collegiate linebackers that they ranked this year in pass coverage. I don't know if you knew this, but you were in the top 100 out of all 726 linebackers. So that just speaks to your ability to cover the pass. And I want to ask you about that because that's going to be a huge part of, you know, your NFL career is covering tight ends. We got guys like Kelsey Kittle, Hawkinson, you know, really good tight ends. So where did that ability to cover the pass come from and how do you continue to be so successful at it? So in my opinion, so I played quarterback my freshman and sophomore year of high school and we ran triple option, but I had to learn how to read defenses and understand, okay, this is this, that route, that route concept works against this coverage and all that, all that kind of stuff. So when I transitioned to linebacker in high school, that was almost second nature. Covering the pass was almost second nature because I knew what a quarterback was thinking. Like 90% of the time I knew what a quarterback was thinking. And it was almost in high school, especially it was almost harder for me to get used to going up on the run because I was like, Oh, I, I can look at a receiver and just how they're lined up. And I can, most of the time I can tell you, okay, they're going to do these two things. And that helps me a lot because it allowed me to jump routes or take away things that the first, the quarterback's first read. And if you can get a quarterback off of his first read, a lot of times guys like Celeste and Haba can go get the sack instead of them throwing the ball. And that, I feel like that's, that was the biggest thing that helped me was my ability to play within our defense, but still make the plays because I, I knew, okay, this is where the quarterback's going to look first. I can take that away or, if he wants to throw it, I can be there to make the play. You know, and there are some really good linebackers that will be in this year's draft class. You know, Ohio State's got a pair of linebackers. I, we're right outside of Columbus, Ohio, so I love my Buckeyes. And we've got a guy by the name of Tommy Eichenberg. That, um, I, I love that man. But your game is just very translatable to the NFL. We talked about your ability to cover, you know, in pass coverage, but also your ability to play the run and just kind of be a versatile weapon on defense. So I want to ask you, in your opinion, what separates you from other linebacker prospects in this year's draft class? What separates me is my knowledge of the game. I can I'm a I'm a hardworking kind of guy in the weight room every day, but then just as many hours in the weight room is just as many hours as I'm gonna watch film. And I'm a big time guy in knowing the defense in and out so that I can play any position on the defense. And that kind of started translating later on in the season, we were, we were a veteran linebacker group, but also we weren't, we didn't have a whole lot of depth and my linebacker coach, coach Jack Tyler, he was able, he knew that I knew both positions and could plug, plug me in with other guys that might not have known what they were supposed to do, but I could tell, I could do my job, but before the play, I could say, Hey, you got to line up there. You got this gap. Oh, you're blitzing off the edge. Make sure you get your eyes on the, on the, tackle or whatever whatever the play insisted of and I feel like that that's what separates me is I'm very quick to learning a defense I mean I've played in heck three or four different defenses in the past six years 
And I feel like I could teach if I look at the playbook for not even a day, a couple hours, I feel like I could teach anybody the whole playbook. And I'm a big believer in if you know everybody else's job, it makes your job easier because I know I don't have to, I don't have to be out there because, Oh, that's what he's responsible for. And it just kind of, it frees me up because I can go make the plays I need to make, but I can also help my, help my guys on defense make plays because at the end of the day, I, I just want to win. That's kind of how I've always been growing up. And I don't care if I get two tackles or if I get 20 tackles, if we win the game and I'm the guy that's taking on, taking on the pulling guard and, my other linebackers making all the tackles because I'm taking out the guard. I'll I'll take it. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to win games, and I feel like that's what kind of separates me from everybody else. You know, when you you played football in California, you've played football in Texas. Those two states are widely regarded, maybe outside of you know states like Florida and Georgia and Ohio, as some of the elite football states. So, in your opinion, oh, which had better high school football, California or Texas? Hmm. I get into arguments with my friends about this all the time. <laughs> I'll say if it was a, I'll put it this way. If it was a seven on seven tournament, I think California would win. If it was a rain game, for sure, Texas would win. But in, in a regular game, I don't, I don't know. I think it'd be really close just because I, California football is a little different. I think if you if you took a Texas team and made them play in California, I think they'd have a way bigger – I think California would have a way bigger chance. But if you make a California team, no matter how good they are, you make you take them into Texas and you get the stance packs because I will say Texas high school football games are a little different than California football games. There's only one or two games a year that get as packed as a Texas game on a normal Friday night. So I don't know if they would win out here. If it was a neutral side, I feel like it would be pretty close though. You know, and that's the one thing here lately, it feels like California's football, you know, Texas has always had great quarterback play coming out. You know, you, you've got Duncanville and some Westlake, some of these high schools that put out great quarterbacks in Texas, but California modern day is uh, doing some darn things out there with the oh, California yeah. high school football. Yeah, they were in my, uh, they were actually in my conference when I was in high school. So I played them every year and I played against JT Daniels. He was on my uh my seven on seven team growing up. I played against um what was his name? Uh I I played against I DJ did DJ Ugalale. I think that's how you say his name. He didn't I didn't play against him. Uh I played against the guy that was in front of him on that TV show. Um but yeah, I played against all those guys and yes, it's it's crazy. So if you know if you have a little inside info on JT Daniels, I have always liked JT Daniels. Um, I thought he got a bad rap at Georgia, so I have to ask you, you know, in your opinion, what is JT Daniels as good as I think he is? You know, I have always thought JT could play at the next level. Can, can you back me up on this so I don't look as silly? I can. I I will. Say, I'll say this. Playing against him and then seeing him, I think he got kind of – he got – in my opinion, he got kind of screwed at USC. He played one game. I was at the game, actually. I was at the game with my parents because my mom went to USC. Um, and he got hurt against Fresno State. And then Jackson Dart came in, and they had a new offensive coordinator. He broke all these records and stuff. And I'm like, 
okay, well, they ran pro style with JT. Of course, he's not going to break every single passing record they have. And then he went to Georgia and got hurt, and then Stetson Bennett started started kind of started balling. I think he, I think he could play at the next level. I think he needs to settle in. I think he needs to stay healthy first of all, because that seems to be the thing right now. Is he gets hurt, and then the backups, the backup never never does bad. Um, but I think he could definitely play at the next level. I think I like him. He's a really good dude, and he can he can sling that thing. I mean, heck, he tore us up my senior year, so. So are you a USC fan then? I am. Uh, I don't know. I grew up as a USC fan, like uh, like Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, those days. That's kind of what made me love football was watching those games. I'm a UT hater. I hate to say it, um, because of, because of what Vince Young did did to me when I was when I was young. But I, I you could say when USC is good, I, or I I enjoy watching USC football. The last couple of years, not so much, but this year was fun to watch and be good again. I was gonna say I was gonna say thank you to USC for losing because you got my Buckeyes into the playoffs. So uh appreciate you guys for that one. <laughs> but I, I want to get back to your playing style because you know, like we talked about, we've talked about what separates you on the field, but you've talked about the importance of the film room and the off the field stuff that goes into being a great football player. So I want to ask you, if an NFL team brings you in, they take a shot on you. What are they getting from Mike Noble, the person? They're going to get the hardest worker in the room. They're going to get somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And they're going to get a guy that just wants to help people. I mean, in high school, I had we or I went to a private school, so we had a bunch of guys that didn't live in the area. And at one point, I had seven guys on my football team living in my house. And – I would, we drove, we all drove, we all hopped in my truck and went to school every day. And then in, in, when I came back in junior college, it was the same thing. I had five or six guys living at my house or we were driving to workouts. I was going to pick them up because we had a workout we needed to get in, but they couldn't, they didn't have a car or whatever. They're going to get a guy that is willing to do the most work, but also help the most people. And I have to ask you as well, if you could describe your football playing style in your own words, how would you describe the way you play the game? I would say intellectually fanatic. I would say, I think that's a good way to put it. I was going to say, I, I, the, when I watched your film and watching you play, you play like your hair's on fire all the time. I mean, you are constantly making plays, constantly around the football, and that comes from that intellectual ability to know where the ball is going to be. And that's something that, you know, is important at the next level is not taking plays off. You know, I, I talk to guys and, you know, I've, I've heard guys say things like business decisions. You know, hey, I let up on that tackle because it was a business decision. You talked about how you had to play her at the junior college level level and playing with a club for a hand at one point. So I want to ask you where, where does that, you know, drive and that determination come from? Where did, when did you know you wanted to be a football player and where does that drive and determination to keep going come from? So going back to Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, USC Trojans, that was, that was when I knew I wanted to play football. I don't think I played football yet. I think I played football the next year. I think when I was in like fifth grade, I think that was my first year of football. And I was a, uh, I was a center and a nose tackle. And I was, oh, I, or 
growing up, I was always the I was I always played up. I was always the younger guy on the team, but I was good. I was good enough to hang with the older guys, but I wasn't the best out of everybody. And I think that I think the uh, I think that's when I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Like this is fun. I I like I like hitting people. I like getting every like that was kind of football became my safe space for a it still is my safe space for a very very long time and probably always will be um and that drive i mean i'll put it this way when i left western state colorado i left because of or i had a knee injury and i needed surgery and i got it in the spring and or if you know anything about western state colorado it's one of the most middle of nowhere schools in America. And my dad's a chiropractor and has a bunch of pediatric buddies and I was going to get surgery at home. So when I'm told the coaches said, Hey, I'm going to transfer home because I need surgery. I'm going to be out for a year anyways. And I don't think this is the right fit for me. They told me we don't need you anyways. You're not a hard worker. All like basically everything that I always thought I was up to that point. And when I, after I heard that, I called my dad basically in tears and he told me, this is, this is the moment in your life where you have to decide, are you going to let them be right? Or are you going to make them be right? Or are you going to make them be wrong? And that was kind of when I just decided I'm going to make them wrong. And ever since then, it's, I've always, I always feel like I've had to fight and claw and grab my way to keep going. And I mean, even this year, I started off in fall camp as a three. I was the third, I was a third linebacker on the depth chart and don't know why I was told by everybody else. I was told by my guys on the team, why aren't you starting? Why aren't you starting? And it kind of just became a, I don't know, but I'm just going to keep working. And I feel like that kind of just became who I was, was a guy that I, no matter what's in front of me, I'm just going to keep going. So I think I feel I feel like that's where it, that's where it comes from is just being told that I wasn't good enough and said I'm going to prove you wrong because I didn't want I was I got tired of hearing it at some point. <laughs> you know, and you 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 have proven those coaches wrong. You've had a lot of success and you've shown what a hard worker you are and it was rewarded this year. You were named a semifinalist for the William V Campbell award. So I have to ask you first and foremost when you found out you were a semifinalist for the award, what were your emotions like and what were your feelings like when you heard that? So I actually found out on a mic or cause it, I think it was announced. I think we were in meetings or something and I just opened my phone and I, I saw it on Twitter, like Southland conference had uh, tagged me in it or something. And I saw it and I was like, and I didn't really know what that meant at first. And then kind of, I looked into it cause I knew coach bailiff had a, had um put me out there for it and then when I started looking into it I felt really honored the fact that one that coach bailiff and my coaching staff believed in me like that that I could that I had the grades and that I was a good football player and that they see me as somebody that helps out in the community um and it, it's a big honor that I even made it that far I mean heck I was I started I only started five games last year and did, I didn't have a lot of statistical anything last season so it kind of that made me feel good about them them seeing it and then the rest of the the Campbell Award people seeing that saying oh he's a good kid and he can and he can play some football. 
you know, and for folks who don't know the William V. Campbell Award, it truly is for a well-rounded individual. Not only is it for a great football player, but you also have to be a great scholar athlete and a great person in the community to even be considered for the award. So truly just speaks to your character. You know, you talked about how you're currently at the Aztec Bowl and, you know, you're preparing for this upcoming draft. I first have to ask you, what's your experience been like so far at the Aztec Bowl? I, I know you haven't been there too long, but what's it been like so far? Uh, it's been good. Uh, so we just got me and uh, JT Smith and Deontay Smith. We all drove down from Dallas to uh, Edinburgh, Texas. So we're sitting in a hotel room right now and they get, they fed us some pizza and we met the coaches and we get on a plane tomorrow to fly down to Mexico city to, to uh, start practicing and stuff. So it's been good so far. I'm enjoying it. Um, but yeah, well, I'm excited for the rest of the week. It's going to be fun. And what are you doing? You know, you know, for folks who don't understand, you know, you've, you're declaring for the draft. So now the draft process starts. What are you doing to not only stay in shape, but also get combine ready. And then also any other all-star bowls that you might participate in. So, or right now I'm just, I'm training in our weight room. Um, our strength coach, actually, our head strength coach actually just, uh, took a, took an offer to go train, um, at the special forces. So he's gone, but we have our GA and me and the GA strength coach are really close. So he's been putting me and Celeste and Haba through workouts every day, kicking our butt. Um, so kind of just going through that when I go home, uh, for Christmas break for a couple weeks, I have my speed coach and my strength coach back home that I'm going to go see and work out with. And they know, they know the deal that it's all combine stuff. Don't really, you don't got to worry about quite as many football movements, just cone drills and getting stronger and faster and they know the deal. So I'll be going home for that. And then coming back out here and just train training at school for right now. Are you looking to do any other all-star bowls like the hula bowl or East West shrine or, you know, podium, anything like that? I would love to do any of those ones. Uh, I've talked to the podium people. Um, I'm trying to, we're trying to negotiate a price right now to get out there. And I would be, I mean, if any, I would do any bowl. Honestly, I love I love playing football. Any chance I can keep playing football, I love it. It's it's the best. You know, and you alluded to, you know, that right now you're doing a lot of combine training stuff as you get ready for combine workouts and stuff. Can you educate some people on what's the biggest difference between football move trainings and combine training? Because people don't understand when you train for the combine, you're training to do things. Hey, you know, you and I talked off the record. You haven't ran a 40 in six years. You got to train yep. to be able to run the 40 the best you've ever ran it. So exactly. talk about what that's like. So for combine training, it's, you know, going into it, you know exactly what you have to do. There's a set standard of these are the cone drills you have to do. This is what you got to bench. This is how the broad jump and the vertical jump work. This is how you get measured all everything, you know, every it's like a, it's like a cheat sheet or let's say, it's, it's cheat sheet. You see every, you see it all in front of you. you. Say, okay, this is what I have to do. And it's different than football, in my opinion, because in football, you train to for what you think you're going to do or what you should do in that situation. But you don't actually know what's going to happen. You don't know if somebody's going to be hitting you on the left side or the right side or whatever. But the combine is only you. And you know exactly what you got to do. And it's a lot more technical and specific on okay these are the steps you take to get there and then this is the transition um 
this is how you're supposed to set your feet for the 40. This is how you take off. And it's, it's a lot, it's more tedious. It's more uh, specific and skill oriented than in, where in football it's, you could have somebody that heck like me who hasn't ran a 40 in six or seven years and I can still play football and be fine, but I couldn't, but I know how to run a 40, but is it the best 40 I could possibly run because I've been trained to do it? No, not right now, but that's, that's the plan is to get there. And that's to get there for all the cone drills and all the workouts and stuff. You know, and you talked about the film room and the preparation you put into the game. So I want to ask you to rank these three things, one being the most important three being the least. If you could rank the film room, the weight room, and the practice field one to three, where are you ranking them? Hmm, that's hard. Especially because I I would rank all of them as one, but I would say, to me personally, the weight room's number one. Mainly because if even if you're not as naturally bigger than somebody, you can still be stronger than them. And I feel like that's where my game really started to flourish when I, especially when I, when I got up to commerce, cause I was fully healthy from Juco and stuff. And that's where my game really started shining was I was, I, I wasn't as big as the offensive lineman or a lot, another linebacker, but I could be stronger than them and I could get off the block easier per se or whatever it was. So I'd definitely say the way room, and it's the easiest to get into. You go in there, start lifting weights. Anybody can do it. Hey, I mean, non-football player, every, anybody can do it in the world. It's the easiest to do. Two, I would say, I would say practice because as much as I care about film, a lot, I mean, heck, I do it too. It's easier to know what something's going to be like when you can physically see it and feel it and do it. And as much as, Writing on the whiteboard is fun and looking over film and saying, oh, this is what that guy's doing. If you can't physically do it and rep it over and over and over again, it doesn't get done. And I think that's why I think that's why I would put practice as number two. And then film number three. I mean, knowing exactly what the opponent's going to do before that before they do it, you can defeat a lot of plays doing that and take away a lot of things that they want to do. So. You know, and I have to ask you as well, you know, you play the linebacker position. Is there anyone that you try to model your game after? Anyone that you watch a lot of film on and try to take bits and pieces? Or do you really just try to be your own individual player? So I take a little bit from Mike Singletary. That's where I got the number 50 from, actually. And I take and I take some from Luke Keekley. Mike Singletary being being the leader he was, the leader of that disgusting bears defense that was absolutely insane um i take some i take that i take the leadership and the uh and his knowledge of the defense from that and then i take i take luke keekley's him knowing the defense as well but also just his the tenacity he played with i mean dude was around the ball all the time and never slowed down and that's probably why he can only play for eight years of the nfl but those eight years were incredible. And I also take some of my uh, my my pass coverage from Luke Keekley because he was – a lot of people don't give him credit for being, for how great of a pass coverage person he was. Like, he was fantastic. And the way he could – he could look at – he could bait a quarterback into throwing a ball or re, as soon as the quarterback, we call it at a commerce, um, 
undo, or undoes the grenade, takes his hand off the ball, that ball's coming out. The way he can read that and know exactly what's going on without even sometimes looking at the receivers is just crazy to me. And that's who I, I want. Or if I can do that, we're going to be good. <laughs> you know, and I want to ask you as well, you know, on this show, we like to give advice to high schoolers. You know, we were all high schoolers at one point. So I want to ask you first, if you could talk to a high school linebacker and, you know, this, this kid's decided they want to play at the next level. They want to try and play football at the college level. If you could tell that high school linebacker, what would you tell them? to focus on to help get their game to the level where it's good enough to play in college? I would say the number one thing is hit the weight room harder than you think you can, because no matter how hard you're going, you can always go harder. And that was kind of my issue coming out of high school was I was a, I was just a football player. I didn't take the weight room as seriously as I needed to. And getting to, college and then going to junior college that became the only thing that was consistent and football's not always going to be there but the weight room's always going to be there and the weight room all the way you can't being in the weight room as much as you can never hurts your game and I think if you can just stay in the weight room and that also stay on the field like do footwork and like all do, do field stuff too don't just only lift weights don't be a, don't be a complete meathead but Definitely, if you can be be as strong as you can be while staying fast and physical, I would say that because that that was the number that's the number one thing I feel like that can set apart those guys that go to those SEC or Power Five schools out of high school is those coaches see how phys- how physically how physically fit he already is. They don't have to t- take three years to turn him into a beast. He might he might need need a year to be a beast, but three years is a lot more of a commitment that coaches need to make instead of one year of okay, you need to learn the defense and we're gonna get you to eat right. And then if you could also give advice to you know a kid who maybe is just not happy with where they're at, maybe they didn't get the offers they wanted, or maybe you know where the where they're at in their football career right now just isn't where they thought they would be. What would you tell that kid advice wise? I would say if. Do, every, do everything in your power and only care about what's in your power. At the end of the day, you can't control what a coach – you can try to control what a coach thinks of you, but if he already has thoughts about you, you don't – you can't change that most of the time or it's going to take – what my dad always told me is in order to change somebody's opinion, you got to make them look really, really stupid, and it's hard to do that. So I would say that's probably the number one thing. Just control what you can control. So last question for you, why should one of these 32 NFL teams take a shot on Michael Noble and bring him onto their roster? They should take a shot on Mike Noble because he's a game changer and he can get everybody lined up and is okay with not making the big play as long as the big play gets made. And all, all, all I care about is winning. So I just want to win games, whatever it takes, whatever I got to do to make sure the team wins, I'm willing to do it. If that means only running down on punt and kickoff and special teams, I'm good with it. If that means playing 90 snaps a game, I'm good with that, whatever it takes. Mike, I've had an absolute blast having you on the show, man. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a truly, you know, just great experience, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. For sure, man. Folks, that is all we got for you guys this time. I was Mike Noble, linebacker for Texas A&M Commerce, 2023 NFL draft prospect. 
Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. 